The celebration of Purim is a celebration of the hidden miracles of Kalal Yisrael. The story of Purim that we want to tell today is with Si'ata Dishmaya to be able to bring out some of the hidden portions of that story of Purim. Maybe to reveal the hidden within the story itself as we never heard the Purim story before. But there's a reason for this. There was a great rabbi, a brilliant rabbi. His name was Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, lived in the 1600s, Zechet Sadiq Lebracha. And he asks five, six compelling, very powerful questions. And each question is more powerful than the next. And through these very spear-pointed, powerful, compelling questions, he demands from us to go deeper into the Purim story and to find out maybe something we never heard before. Says the great Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, here the Jewish people, a decree on their heads put by Haman Harasha to wipe out and annihilate every Jew. And at that moment, Mordechai HaYehudi, he brings the Jewish people together. They begin to fast and they cry and they pray for three days. After those three days, Mordechai turns to Esther Hamalka and he tells her, here's the moment, the moment of truth that you were given, the Gidullah, the greatness, the majesty. Now is the moment for you to go to Ashverosh, go to the king. Esther says, I'm ready to go. The only problem is you can't just walk into the king. You have to wait to be called. You need to be invited. I was never called. I wasn't called for some time. Mordechai says, either you go, the Yeshua will come through you, or it'll come from somewhere else. Now's the time to act. Esther goes. She stands on the outside of the inner chambers of King Ahasuerosh, just enough for him to see her in a distance. King Ahasuerosh sees Esther standing on the outside. He calls her. He raises the Sharbit HaZahav, which is a signal to allow her to enter. She comes into the inner chamber of the king. She puts her hand on the golden scepter, the Sharbit HaZahav, and that allows her to speak. And before she can even get a word out, what does Ahasuerosh tell Esther HaMalka? Says the Pasuk, Vayomer Lahamelech, Malicha Esther HaMalka, what is it, Esther, that you want? Ma bakashatech, what's your request? Ad chatsi hamalchut v'inaten lach. I will give you up to half my kingdom. What does that mean? He's going to draw a dotted line down the kingdom? This is me, this is you? I'm going to give you up to half my kingdom. What does that mean? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you what that means. Says the Gemara, Megillah tedvav amudbet. Ad chatsi hamalchut. Says the Gemara, you know what he meant? I'll give you up to half the kingdom, but not the entire. I will not give my kingdom away. What is he referring to? Says the Gemara, you know what he's referring to? I will not grant you the thing that will bring down my kingdom. I will not give you a request that will divide and destroy my kingdom. Umayni says the Gemara. What was he referring to? 
Answers the Gemara. You know what he's referring to? Binyan Bet HaMikdash. Ashverosh tells Esther, I'll give you whatever you want. But there's one thing that's off the table. There's one thing that is not up for discussion. There is no way that I will grant permission for the Binyan Bet HaMikdash. That will bring down my kingdom. That is Ad Chatsi HaMalchut. If you're going to ask me something that's going to divide my kingship and bring it down, that is not for you to request. Asks the great Rabbi Yonatan Eipchitz, wait one second. Why in the world would Ashverosh ever think that Esther was actually coming to ask about the building of the Bet HaMikdash? And besides, Ashverosh didn't even know that Esther was Jewish. So why would he ever think that there's a connection between Esther and the Bet HaMikdash in, 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 in any which way? And this thing is really, this is puzzling because you see, the Khatam Sofer writes, an eye-opener, he says, Esther HaMalka was not the most beautiful woman in the world. Esther was given a gift, it was called Chen. She was given grace, favor, to find favor in the eyes of people. She had this amazing gift, Esther. Anyone who looked at her suddenly liked her. Khatam Sofer writes, her gift was even more than that. The Chen, the gift that she had, was that anyone that looked at her the reason why they liked her was because she always appeared to the onlooker as she came from that person's country. A Persian that would look at Esther, she would appear to them as a Persian girl. A Chinese guy <laughs> that would appear to Esther, suddenly her eyes would go and she would actually look to them Chinese. And it would go like that way no matter where you came from. You looked at Esther, you know why you liked her? Because she looked like she could be your sister. She literally looked like someone from your land. Right, Chatam Sofer? This is the reason why, you know, you always wondered. Haman, how come Haman never suspected the queen of possibly being Jewish? The Gemara says that she hated him. She hated him so much. That the reason why the Gemara says at times Esther's face went green was because anytime Haman walked into the room, her face went green, she got sick, and she began to throw up. So she really hated Haman. Wouldn't Haman, who's going now to rise in his stature and career in the kingdom, before he starts making decrees to wipe out Jews, wouldn't you want to make sure that you're not stepping on big toes? Wouldn't you want to make sure that at least you're in line with the royal family? Why did Haman never suspect that Esther might have been a Jew? Says Chatam Sofer, now you know why. Because her gift of chen, that anyone that looked at her immediately saw that she appeared to them like her, their own people. When Haman looked at Esther, you know what he saw? He saw an Amaleki girl. And because of that, writes the Khatam Sofer, Haman knew, hey, she might not like me. Maybe it's my hat, maybe it's the curly mustache, but she might not like me. But if she's an Amaleki girl like me, one thing I know we do have in common, and that is that we hate Jews. So if Ahashverosh, who looked at Esther, what did he see? He saw a girl that in his eyes appeared like a Persian girl. 
So why in the world would he ever put her together with the building of the Bet HaMikdash? But that's what he told her, says the Gemara. You can ask anything you want, but not the Bet HaMikdash. Why would he ever think that she's coming to ask anything to do with the Bet HaMikdash? And another powerful question that Rabbi Yonatan Eitritz asks on our story of the Megillah. We know that right away, Megillah begins where Ahasuerus throws this amazing worldwide feast, a party. For how long? Well, we mentioned in recent classes, 180 days, a six-month worldwide party. Six months. What a party. Ahasuerus. Why did he throw this amazing party? What was the reason? Well, if it was just about his kingship, what's amazing is, you take a look at the Megillah, and he threw this three years into his kingship. That's a little late to celebrate a kingship. So there must have been something else. Must have been a better reason. Says the Midrash, the Targum Sheni Megillah. Do you know why he threw this amazing party? Six months, the whole world. Because his queen Vashti came to Ashverosh and told him, My husband, I have great news for you. According to my mathematical calculations, the predictions of the Jewish prophet, the Navi, who said that the Jews are going to be in Galut for 70 years. And at the 70 years, they're going to come out of Galut and build the Bet HaMikdash. My husband, according to my mathematical calculations, the 70 years is now up. And take a look. Nothing happened. The Jews are still in Galut. The Jews are still in Persia. You are still king. No Bet HaMikdash is anywhere on the horizon to be built. Take a look. The Jewish prophecies were false. The Bet HaMikdash will never be built. When Ahasuerus heard that the Bet HaMikdash is never going to be built, he went into such a wild rage of happiness that he threw a six-month worldwide party. The whole world must rejoice that the Bet HaMikdash is never going to be built. What did he have against the Bet HaMikdash being built? That first he tells Esther, you can ask anything you want, but don't ask that. Secondly, he hears Bet HaMikdash is not going to be built. He makes a party worldwide. Six months. He takes out the Kelim of the Bet HaMikdash. He shows everybody, that's it. The dream is up. What's going on? What does he have with the Bet HaMikdash? And ladies, you want to hear something ironic. Ironic. Later on, when the real Cheshbon of 70 years came to fruition, and the Bet HaMikdash, number two, second Bet HaMikdash was built, do you know that the Gemara tells us there was a section of the Bet HaMikdash, a certain area of the Bet HaMikdash, that actually was called Shushan Habira. And the reason for that was to keep the peace with the reigning kingship of Ahasuerus. So take a look at that. When the Bet HaMikdash actually was built later on, it did not infringe on his kingship in any way, did not have any effect on the fact that Persia continued to rule the world. So what was Ahasuerus so worked up about the building of the Bet HaMikdash? At the end, you see that it had zero effect on him and his kingship. So why was he so against it? 
Why was he so against it? Why was he so against talking about it to Esther? And when he hears it's never going to happen, according to Vashti's calculations, he makes a worldwide six-month party? This is also a tremendous question. But wait, the questions get much more powerful. The Gemara tells us that Ashverosh hated the Jews as much as Haman did. The Gemara, he gives amazing mashal. The Gemara tells us it's a mashal parable to, uh, to two guys. One guy has a pile of dirt and the other guy has a hole. And the Gemara says, the guy with the hole says, oh, I wish I had a pile of dirt to fill up the hole. And the guy with the pile of dirt says, I wish I had a hole to get rid of my pile of dirt. Two guys with a problem. Each guy's answer lies in the other guy's asset. At the end of the day, says Gemara, that was the story and even the friendship between Ahasuerus and Haman. Ahasuerus had a pile of Jews. Haman had a gaping hole in his heart to kill them. Haman was trying to figure out, how do I get them? Ahasuerus was trying to figure out, how do I get rid of them? And sure enough, who walks in? Haman. Ahasuerus. I'd like to buy the rights. 10,000 kikar, shekel, kesef. To be able to wipe out the Jewish people. Ahasuerus turns to Haman and says, keep your money. I'll give you the grant. I'll stamp the decree. You can do it for free. He wanted to get rid of his Jews. And Haman wanted to kill them. Together their relationship was built on a mutual hatred for the Jewish people. Take a look at how much Ahasuerus hated Jews. And the obvious question is, why? Haman, I understand why he hated Jews. He came from a long line of Amalek that they were pre-programmed in their blood to hate Jews. This is our arch enemy. This is our nemesis. We hate them. They hate us. It is what it is. But Ahasuerus, you're not from Amalek. Ahasuerus, you're from Persia. Did we do anything to you? Why do you hate us as much as Haman? What did we do to Ahasuerus? We were good citizens. We were good for the economy. We were good for every country we were thrown to. Why then did Ashverosh hate the Jews so incredibly much? What's amazing to me is that right after that, one night, Ashverosh cannot sleep. He twists and turns. Finally, he opens the Sefer Zichronot. The next day, he turns to Haman, what should I do for someone who the king likes? And he tells him, put him on garments, put him on royal garments, a white horse, and give him the royal trot through the city. Ahasuerus turns around and says, you know what? I was thinking just like that. And I'm going to do much more. And ladies, you're about to hear a Midrash now on the Megillah that tells us this wasn't just a little joyride in a horse and buggy through Central Park. This was much, much heavier. Says the Midrash, Umordechai Yatsa Lefnei HaMelech Bilvush Malchut Techelet Vachur 
says the Midrash, Ma Melech Lovesh Atara Af Mordechai Lavash Atara. Just like a king wears a crown, Mordechai was given a crown to wear. Ma Melech Lovesh Levush al Malchut Af Mordechai. Just like a king wears garments of royalty, Mordechai was given a kingly garment of royalty to wear. Ma Melech Tsurato Nitba Bamatbea. His face, the king's face, is stamped on the coins of the country. Af Mordechai Surato Nitba Bamatbea. They took Mordechai's face, a picture of his face, and they actually stamped all the Persian coins with Mordechai's face. Mordechai was actually made a king. Ma Melech Shemamlicha Mamlachto. Af Mordechai Himlich al Bene Israel. Mordechai was made a real full fledged king, a Persian king. And he was appointed as the Persian king on the Jews of Persia. To the extent, not just a crown, royal garments, his face was put onto the currency. He literally was made a full fledged king. Ahashverosh, I don't get you. Ashverosh, you're a schizophrenic. You hate Jews to such an extent that Mamash, you told Haman when he called to purchase the right to kill, he told, you told him, keep your money. He hated Jews. He hates the Bet HaMikdash. He hates everything about us. What does he do the next day? He takes the head of the Jews and he makes him a king in Persia. He makes him the king over the Jews in Persia. He takes his face and puts it on the coins of Persia. Achashverosh, make up your mind. One day you wake up and hate us. The next day you wake up and you love us. And you're making our leaders kings. What's going on with this guy? What is the deal with Achashverosh? What was he thinking? Ah, uh, what was he thinking? And ladies, the truth is that here is now to highlight that moment of truth where Esther is sitting by the table with Haman and Ahasuerus. And finally she turns to her husband Ahasuerus and she says, this Haman Rasha, he sold Ani Ami, me and my people, to be killed. Ahasuerus says, what? Esther? I thought you were a Persian girl. You're a Jewish girl? All of a sudden, Look at this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. The guy that was his best friend, Haman. Now he goes and he hangs him and he kills him. The Jewish people that he hated, he was trying to get rid of. All of a sudden now, they're great people. The Bet HaMikdash that he told Esther, you could ask anything but that. That is the voodoo topic. Don't bring that up. All of a sudden, now he gives permission for the Bet HaMikdash to begin to be built. What happened? Only because she told you that she's Jewish? What, was Ahasuerus so in love with Esther that everything he stood for till now, suddenly, upon the news that his wife is a Jew, suddenly he turns around a complete 360? What happened? There has to be something more to this story that we're missing in a big way. And the great Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, he's going to give us now a new understanding 
to reveal a hidden, magnificent point of the story of Purim that's going to answer everything we just asked in one story. Listen to the story of Purim according to the great Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, maybe like we never heard it before. Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz writes that he studied many of the Medrashim and the Targum Sheni, along with many historical books, including Josephus. And he writes that after analyzing all the ancient chronicles of the ancient Persian history, he says he found out that the Persian kings, they lived in incredible fear. There was one frightening thought that these kings lived with that drove them literally to any degree. And what was that? They lived with the fear of how long are they going to remain king? Is there someone rebelling against them? And will their legacy of kingship go to their heir, go to their son, or not? Ahasuerus, maybe more than all the Persian kings, lived with the greatest fear of all. Because the larger your kingdom is, the more enemies you made. The more of the countries of the world you conquered, every time you conquered another country, is another enemy you've made. And therefore, Ahasuerus, with all the glamour and the glory, king of the world, or at least majority, Ahasuerus lived in fear. Is there anyone rebelling against me? How long am I going to be king? Am I going to lose my kingship? Is my son going to reign as king after me? Or maybe someone will rebel and try to take my throne from me. Because of this fear that the Persian kings used to live constantly in, they would even reach out to superstitious or extraordinary measures to find a little bit about what the future holds. And there Ahasuerosh writes Rabbi Yonatan very similar to Paro, who would ask constantly the astrologers and the stargazers what holds in his future of kingship, Ahasuerosh did the same. Ahasuerosh went to the stargazers, the astrologers of Persia, who at that time were the greatest or the best skilled astrologers in the world. And he asked his stargazers, tell me, how long am I going to be king? Who is going to be the next king of Persia? Will it be my son? Will it be from my descent? Will my legacy continue? Or maybe there'll be a rebellion. Will I lose my throne? Or will it stay in my family? The stargazers went out and they came back to Ashverosh and they told him, Your Majesty, as far as how long you're going to rule, that it doesn't say in the stars. As far as who's going to be the next king of Persia, that it doesn't say in the stars. But there is one thing that says clearly in the stars, without a shadow of a doubt. And that is, the next king of Persia will be a Jew. When Ahasuerus heard that, writes Rav Yonatan Eipschitz, he was fuming. What? A Jew? 
from all the peoples in my kingdom and all the countries that I thought were scheming against me and looking to uprise and rebel. The Jews were the last people that I thought were against me. They're good citizens. They're great for the economy. I actually looked up to them as a privilege to have them in Persia. And now they're after my throne. The next king in Persia is going to be sitting on my throne. A Jew? A Jew is going to sit on my throne? Now I got it. It must be the prophecy of their Navi. It must be that the Navi's prophecy that the Jewish people are going to be in Galut for 70 years. And now the end of the 70 years is coming. It must be that at the end of the 70 years, the prophecy calls for the rebuilding of the second Bet HaMikdash. That's going to be the moment that the Jews are going to raise up from Galut. They're going to come out of the dirt. They're going to come out of their, their exile. Ah, that must be the time that the Jews are waiting and lurking and stalking my kingship. They're going to come and rise up from the darkness. They're going to come and rise up from Galut. They're going to build the second Bet HaMikdash and the glamour and the grandeur and the power that's going to give them the next step. They're going to rebel against me and they're going to put in my place a Jewish king. It says, Ashverosh, I will never let the Bet HaMikdash be built. I cannot allow them to rise up from their low Galut position that they're in now. I will never have it. And if that's the case, at that moment, the Jewish people became the arch enemies of Ahasuerosh. At that moment, Ahasuerosh was determined that one thing he's sure, he will never let Bet HaMikdash ever be built again to ensure his kingship and to ensure the kingship of his son and that the royal family and that his throne will remain to his heir, to his son, to be the next king of Persia and not a Jew. And then who walks in? In walks Haman. If you want to talk about timing, in walks Haman. Haman comes walking in and says, Ahasuerosh, I want to wipe out the Jewish people. Ahasuerosh says, Haman, your timing is impeccable. You could have came in a better time. You want to wipe out the Jewish people. I want to wipe out the Jewish people more. How do I get rid of him? You have a hole that I can throw him into? Haman, you're going to be my hitman. You're going to be my idea. You're going to be the one. I'm going to put you up to power. I'm going to give you great wealth, stature. I'm going to give you, literally, you're going to become the right hand of my kingdom. So that, as long as the Amaleki is up, it'll ensure that the Jews always have the oppression on them and they'll remain down. And therefore, he turns to Haman and says, Keep your 10,000 Kikar Kesef. Keep your money. You're doing me the biggest favor by getting rid of them. You're my insurance plan that I remain king and my kingship will continue on to my heir, to my son. That is why, ladies, now you understand good and well. When Vashti came to Ashverosh and told her, 
according to my calculations, the 70 years of the Jew Jewish prophecy is now up. I take a look. Nothing happened. The Jews are still down. They're still in Galut. Mashiach did not come. Take a look. The Bet HaMikdash is not built, nor will it be built. When Ashverosh heard this, the prophecy came, the prophecy went. And no damage? No Bet HaMikdash? Jews are still down? With such a happiness. You know what his reaction was? He threw a six-month worldwide party. Not because he became king. Because now he will remain king. That was the great party. That was the great celebration. Worldwide, six months, 180 days. And now you understand, ladies, why he brought out the Kelim of the Bet HaMikdash. It was a message to the Jews. Listen, guys. Your prophecy never happened. Mashiach is not coming for you. Bet HaMikdash will not be built. Come, look what we're going to do to the Kelim. We're going to degrade them in such a way that Jews have no hope in their dream to rebuild Bet HaMikdash. He was sending them a message. Don't get any ideas. You guys are going to be down. You're going to stay down and keep your eyes off my throne. That was the purpose for the six-month party. And then, one night, Ahasuerus couldn't sleep. Says the Gemara, says the Medrash, it's not that he couldn't sleep. It's that he had a nightmare. And you know what that nightmare was, says the Targum Sheni, says the Medrash? He had a nightmare. He dreamt that he saw that there was a Jewish person sitting on his throne, running his kingdom. He woke up in a sweat and he said, wait one second. You mean to tell me that the prediction of the stars, it's still there and it's not connected to the actual building of the Beit HaMikdash? You mean to tell me that it's still possible for the Jews to rebel against me and to replace me with a Jewish king? Even though Bet HaMikdash will not be rebuilt? Oh, if that's the case, he couldn't sleep. He thought that he ousted and doused out that whole rebel. Now he still sees he has the problem. Says Ahasuerosh, I have a brilliant idea. I have a brilliant idea. Says Ahasuerosh, I know what to do. You see, when you have a prediction from the stars, there, is, there are ways that you can circumvent those predictions by allowing the prediction to actually happen, but in a very harmless and insignificant way. Like this, it's going to happen, but you can manipulate how it happens in a way that will be no sweat to you, Ahasuerosh. And do you know who he learned this from? The Jewish people themselves. If you remember back in Egypt, Paro also looked into the stars and he told Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't want to go out to the Midbar. Ru'u, ra'ah neged penechem. If you go out to the Midbar, there is blood waiting for you. I see the star. Sure enough, what did we do? When we went out to the Midbar, we flipped it over. By what did we do? Dam Mila in the Midbar. When we did the Brit Mila in the Midbar, that we 
took those predictions of blood in the Midbar and we turned it into our reality of the blood of the Brit Milah. He says, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing. There are the star's predictions that there's going to be a Jewish king, the next king of Persia. I'm going to manipulate that prediction. I'm going to make it actually happen, but in a very harmless way. I have an idea. And the next day he calls in Haman. What would you do to someone who the king likes? Haman says, well, I would put him on kingly clothes. I put him on a white horse. I give him the royal, the royal trot through the city. Ashwero says, I was thinking the exact same thing. And much more. Go call the head of the Jews. Call Mordechai. He's going to be my Jewish king. I'm going to make a Jewish king. Like this, the prediction of the stars will come true. But in a way, that's going to be very harmless and very insignificant to the threatening of my kingship or the fact that my son won't be the next king of Persia. And that's exactly what he did. That's why Ahasuerus, who hated Jews as much as Haman, and on a people that was called to die, suddenly he anoints and he's Mamlich, a Jewish king. And who was that? The head of the Jews, Mordechai. Like the Midrash we read earlier, he put a crown on him, he gave him royal clothes, he put him on a white horse, he took the face of Mordechai and stamped it on the coins. That you do for kings. He made Mordechai the king on the Jews. Now, the prediction of the stars came true. I have nothing else to worry about. It happened. But little did he know that this plan of Borei Olam was going to be something genius. Genius. You see, there is a reason why Ashverosh loved Haman so much, the antagonizer of the Jewish people. To keep us down, yes. But there is a deeper meaning to it as well. The Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, that when the Jewish people entered Israel, besides the mitzvot that we had to do with the working of the land, there were three special mitzvot that were given to us upon entering Israel. Mitzvah number one was to appoint a Jewish king. Mitzvah number two, wipe out all of Amalek. Mitzvah number three, build a Bet HaMikdash. These three mitzvot were given to us, but they were also given to us in this specific order. First, you must make a king, because only a king can kill out Amalek completely. Then you have a Jewish king, now mitzvah number two, go kill out Amalek completely. Once you wiped out Amalek completely, now you can do mitzvah three. Now you can build a Bet HaMikdash that will stand forever and will never get destroyed. And this is exactly what took place. If you think about this for a minute, you'll see that this is the reason why this is the reason why we read this past Shabbat, Shabbat Zachor. Because as long as Amalek is around, we cannot build a Bet HaMikdash. 
And Ahasuerus knew this. Ahasuerus knew that as long as Amalek is around, if mitzvah number two is still not done, if Amalek exists, you cannot go to mitzvah number three. You cannot build the Bet HaMikdash. And that is why Ahasuerus gave so much power to Haman. Haman was from Amalek. As much and as long, says Ashverosh, that I build up the Amaleki people, I automatically avoid that the Bet HaMikdash will ever be built. And this is what Ashverosh was telling Esther HaMalka. If you remember, we asked, Ad Chatsi HaMalchut. The Gemara told us, he told her, you can ask anything, but the Bet HaMikdash. And we wanted to know, why did he think that she's coming? the Bet HaMikdash. And why would he think that she's Jewish to have a connection to the Bet HaMikdash? You're right. He had no idea that she was Jewish. He had no idea that she had any connection to anything to do with the Bet HaMikdash. But you know what took place? He knew one thing about Esther. He didn't know where she came from. He knew nothing about her, but one thing. He knew that Esther hated Haman to the umpteenth degree. He knew that every time Haman walked in, Esther threw up. Her face turned green. That he knew. And here she comes now to make a big request right away to Ahasuerus Dot. He says, probably she's coming to tell me to get rid of Haman, the Amaleki. But the moment I get rid of Amalek, mitzvah number two, automatically what's going to go to? Binyam Bet Amidash. Therefore, he turns to Esther and he says, listen, Esther, Whatever you want to ask me for, I'll give you. But if this is about removing the impediment to the Bet HaMikdash, that is off the table. I need to keep Amalek alive. Because as long as mitzvah number two is still around, they can never do mitzvah number three. They could never get to the building of the Bet HaMikdash. Now it makes sense. If this is the case, ladies, this past Shabbat, has to be an amazing experience for us. Because what did we read? We read about wiping out Amalek so that finally we can build the third Bet HaMikdash. Yes, there too we need the three mitzvot in order. First, we need a king. We need Melech HaMashiach to come. Only Melech HaMashiach can tell us who is Amalek. After our king comes, then Amalek will be destroyed. After Amalek is destroyed completely, then the Bayit Shilishi can be built, and that will last forever. That's why, what was the Haftarah this week? The story of Shaul HaMelech. Did it ever bother you, ladies? How come? If Yehuda was the tribe promised that the kings are going to come from him, but yet the first king in Israel did not come from the tribe of Yehuda. Rather, it came from Binyamin. How come? Because there was a destiny. Only Shevet Binyamin could wipe out Amalek completely. It was the only Shevet that wasn't part of Machloket. Amalek is all about Machloket. And because the other brothers fell into the selling of the sale of Yosef Sadiq, they were part of the Machloket. They can't get rid of Amalek completely. The only tribe that can get rid of Amalek completely is Binyamin. And therefore, 
we were given three mitzvot. First, make a king. The king can kill Amalek. And then when Amalek is gone, we can build a Bet HaMikdash. So wait, we need that the guy that wipes out Amalek is number one from Binyamin, but also he has to be a king. That's why the first king of Israel was Shaul. He was a king from Shevet Binyamin. And what was his job? To kill out Agag and all the Amaleki, like we read in the Haftarah. And he did wipe out most of Amalek. But he left one over. And because of that, mitzvah number two wasn't completely accomplished. And that's why when we went to mitzvah number three of building the first Bet HaMikdash, it wasn't with the full power. And that's why it was a Bet HaMikdash that was destroyable. Now here we go. Deja vu all over again. It's time to build now the second Bet HaMikdash. How do you build the Bet HaMikdash? You need the order of the three mitzvot. Just like round one, just like round two. So now, if you want to build the Bet HaMikdash, what do you got to do? You need first a king from Binyamin. Which Shevet was Mordechai from? Ish Yimini. He was from Binyamin. And now he was made a king by Ashverosh. We have a Jewish king again from Shevet Binyamin, who now and only now that we have him, could Amalek be destroyed. Now and only now, Haman and his ten sons are the tables are going to be turned on them and they're going to be killed and they're going to be destroyed. And then the second Bet HaMikdash could be built. However, wiping out Haman and his sons is knocking out the nucleus of Amalek, but not complete. And that's why the second Bet HaMikdash as well only lasted, but did not continue forever, was also destroyable. This was the brilliance behind how Hashem made the story of Purim unfold itself all over again to bring the Yeshua. But wait, here is now the fireworks, the cherry on top of this whole piece. Says Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz, ladies, now you get it. Here is Esther sitting at the party that she threw with Ahasuerus and Haman. She turns to Ahasuerus and says, Ani va'ami, me and my people, we were sold to be killed by Haman. Ahasuerus says, what? One second. You're not a Persian girl. You're a Jew, Esther. One second, that means that our son is a Jew. That's what the stars were talking about. The star predictions that they told me the next king of Persia is going to be a Jew sitting on my throne. They weren't talking about a rebellion. They weren't talking about the Bet HaMikdash being the springboard to get the Jews out of the dirt and come against my kingdom. No, they were talking about my Daryavesh all along. King Darius, the one who eventually will give the permission and actually build the Bet HaMikdash. That's who he was talking about. Says, Ahasuerus, what? All this time I was hating the Jews. All this time I was going to prevent Bet HaMikdash from being built. 
All this time I thought there was a rebellion. All this time I thought that the Jews were going to kick me out of my throne and my son will never reign after me. And it turns out that it was my very son who the Jew they were calling for that's going to continue my legacy of kingship. The next king of Persia, the Jew, is my son. If that's the case, I love the Jews. If that's the case, let's build the Bet HaMikdash. It does not infringe on my kingship. Just the opposite. It gives my people, the people of my citizens, a power and ability to be able to raise my kingdom like they did later on by naming a portion of the Bet HaMikdash Shushan Habira in Bayit Sheni. And now, Ahasuerosh looks across the table at the guy that till now he was boosting his wealth and career and power to be the antagonizer of the Jewish people to keep him down. And he says, now our relationship is up. Now I have no need for the hitman. Just the opposite. Haman, your burning hole and desire to want to wipe out Jews, your decree includes my son. And if that's the case, you're trying to kill my son, you and your sons will all hang. What an amazing story. What a brilliance of the way Hashem brought this entire story together. Pieces of a puzzle that just didn't add up and now Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz gives us this orgadol, this amazing light to see the story like we never saw it before. And sure enough, every question, every compelling question that was brought was answered with such a beauty. Ladies, now is the time. And this week has such a power of that v'nahafochu. And the goyim like the Hamans, they come at us with such trickery. They come at us with so many plots and we don't even know anymore what they're coming at us. We just heard last week on the news right here in our backyard, three guys picked up in Brighton Beach, supposedly on their way to attach themselves to go and join ISIS, claiming to have a bomb blowing up, they want to blow up the cyclone, and uh, I don't want to say other things on, 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 on tape, but they also had a Jewish restaurant that they were going after on King's Highway, because it was an Israeli place. You hear these things. We're not talking about 7,000 miles away. We're talking about the plotting of today's Hamans. How do you fight an enemy? that you're not, you never know where they're up to, what they're doing. Says Hashem, there's no way for you to know. The only one that knows what they're up to is me. Just like in the story of Purim, every trickery and struggle and every twist and turn with their stargazers and everything they tried to throw at you, I threw right back at them because I was fighting for you. The only way to fight an enemy that we can't see. And we don't know what they're up to. Go down Coney Island and you'll understand what I'm saying. The only way is to 
beg Ribbon Oshel Olam to take upon our fight and fight for us. Hashem Yilachem Lachem. Hashem says, I'll fight for you. But you know how you get me to fight for you? Va'atem Taharishu. You stay quiet. You stay quiet. You stay quiet in your shuls. Don't talk in shul. It's not a cafe. It is not a social hall. This is Hashem's house. Give me the respect, says Bore Olam, in my home, and I'll protect your home. Va'atemta harishun. You remain quiet. Do you know where else we find this word in the Megillah? Kinimkarnu anilami. What does Esther say? Hecherashti. I only would have remained silent if we would stay quiet in the places we're supposed to. Where we come to shul to pray, not to talk. Where we're very careful with the shmirat halashon that take upon ourselves not to speak degrading about another Jew. Do you think that it was just a coincidence that this video of the Hafez Chaim suddenly comes out in public after 70 years? Where was this video all along? Why all of a sudden now we get to see the Hafez Chaim's face vividly right now brought out to light in front of us. Why? Coincidence? This video could have came out 20 years ago. It was around for 70 years. Because there's a message here. We need to take upon ourselves. This is the time that we pray our hearts out. The time of the greatest tefillot is the time of Purim. That's why Yom HaKippurim, even Kippurim, even Yom Kippur, the tefillot of Purim is out of love. It's a higher tefillah. It's a day that the tefillot are answered. It's a day that Hashem makes the v'nahafochu and all those who are plotting against us. They fall and suddenly we rise as kings. Like the story of Mordechai. So that we can get the first mitzvah. We could finally see our king. The Melech HaMashiach. Who will finally come and allow us with Shevet Binyamin to do the second mitzvah, to wipe out Amalek completely, but this time completely. And then, then we'll be Zochet to the third mitzvah, to build the third Bet HaMikdash, but this time it's going to be Kayam Le'olme Ad Ul'olamim Amen.